Hello, I'm Hi. Jeff Johnston, host of the Living Undeterred podcast. We have Jennifer Tracy today. Uh, I know I've known Jennifer for a while. We've had many, many in-depth talks. So I'm super excited about what she can bring to uh, the table today in regards to value and helping people live a living undeterred lifestyle. Um, Jennifer, we have so much to cover and you have such a, a massive bio on LinkedIn that I'm not going to read it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think we'll just, we'll just pick and choose what you want to talk about. We'll navigate through things, but, um, you are from the beautiful state of Florida and you're from Tallahassee and yeah. your name is Jennifer Tracy and I am honored to have you on our show. Thank you. Yeah. Sometimes bios are a little too much, right? It's like, eh. I know you're not applying for a job, by the way. Exactly. Now, excited yeah. to be here just to chat with you today. Well, I, your story, I, I'm trying to remember, like most people I meet, I met in like a conversation in, in, a, in a conversation on LinkedIn primarily, and somebody jumps in, makes a comment. I go, oh, that's pretty cool. I kind of agree. I click on their profile. Wow. What could you been through? You know, ordered your book, which uh, by the way, that's your book. That's me. <laughs> Yep. And there's my book. <laughs> um, so I ordered your book and, uh, you know, and, and had a chance to talk to you many, 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 many times. And finally, finally was able to get you on the show, yeah. but your story out of, you know, all the stories. And I, I know it's so unfair to compare grief. I mean, it's easy to do, but it's unfair to do because it's unhealthy, but your story is just so amazing from what you've been through. Just, I mean, each chapter is just really, again? Wow. No way. You're crazy. <laughs> and then it's like, again, no way. It's like, and so, you know, people hear what I went through. They hear what a lot of the, my guests have gone through. Yours just kind of is one of those stories that, wow, if, if she, if this person can survive and looks like you're thriving, right. You know, um, then how do you do it? Right. And, you know, I'd like to learn little tricks as well, because even though I may have the perception, I got all my stuff figured out. I still struggle every day with things. Right. Um, so let's, let's go back and talk about Jennifer Tracy, about, you know, your foundation of your belief structure when you were younger, yeah. some of the events that happened in your life that really formed and, and, um, evolved you to where you are today. Yeah. I think, you know, Jeff, that's a great place to kind of start because one of the things I've really discovered about people is like, when we go through things, sometimes those things change us. Mm -hmm. And we are really affected and impacted by them. And we kind of allow those things to shape us. But mm -hmm. I'm one of those people who, no matter how dark the, the event was, I always try to find what did that thing teach me? Or mm -hmm. I always try to find the, how can I not be like that? So if, so for instance, one of the very early foundation things for myself was when my parents went through a divorce, my older brother turned to drugs and alcohol, stole a motorcycle, was going 120 miles an hour down the interstate, crashed it, was in a coma for three months. And I'll, I mean, mm. here I am a young little girl, probably 11, 12. Wow. And I'm watching my brother lay in a coma with the, the port coming out of his head, you know, for the, to relieve the pressure. Right. Mm -hmm. And I made this deep commitment to myself that I would never do drugs, Jeff. Mm. And so 
for myself, when I make these like deep rooted commitments to myself, when life like butts itself up against me, I can see that pretty clearly. And then it's like, well, am I going to hold to that commitment that I made? Am I going to learn from what I saw? Or am I going to let those things affect me? And, and that's, I think, as you saw each chapter, like, there was just stuff that just kept going and going. But I really draw on like, what did I learn from watching my brother do drugs and be in a coma? Let's go back to 11, 11 years old again. And it's astounding that an 11 year old could have that much insight and wisdom in such a traumatic event. Um, to me, I'm very impressed by that at 11 years old. Was that something that, I mean, most 11 year olds, majority of people, men or women, boy or girl would have used it as an excuse. Yeah. Like, I don't want to go to school. I don't want to eat. You know, I, I don't, I want to start drinking and, but you didn't. So I was going to ask you, have you always been that way? But 11 is pretty much always been, but that's an odd or a rare trait to have. Um, so where does that come from? Well, I agree with you because I call it critical thinking. Mm-hmm. I have this ability to think through things and think them through the end. And, you know, when I say to people, I've never done drugs, that doesn't mean Mm -hmm. I don't want to. Mm -hmm. It didn't mean that when Brian and Brittany were killed and that emotional, horrific pain that I felt that I didn't want to do drugs, but I was actually pretty blunt. Like I went into my doctor and just said like, Hey doc, I'm thinking about doing drugs. Like that has to tell you how bad this has to be for me because I'm thinking about breaking my own code of never doing drugs. So where does that come from? Man, I really, it's like, I'm with you. You know, how does someone so young have the capacity to think so critically? I can't really take credit for that. You know, it to me. So, so you fast forward a few years and you had some more traumatic events happen. So what, what would be like in the, in chronological order, what would be the next, you know, uh, pivotal moment in your life, the crossroads, you know, the two roads that I talk about in my book. Yeah. So again, deep rooted commitments with myself, Jeff, that I really wasn't aware of. Graduated a year early from high school. I had a neat program in high school that allowed me to become a cosmetologist the same year. So I was a junior and I graduated Mm. with my cosmetology license, you know, top of my class. So I graduated at 17 on my own, work a couple years, uh, have my twin daughters. Then I get married. Mm-hmm. have my own hair salon, then I have Amber. And then for no, no fault that I can figure out, I started battling suicidal ideation. Out of the blue. Yeah. And when I say out of the blue, it's like, did I go through a lot as a kid? I did. I really did. But I mm-hmm. never, ever felt depression before until I felt depressed and then battling suicidal ideation. So it started at 24 and it took me all the way to 26 years old. And let's define in your terms what suicidal ideation is for the listeners. Yeah. And like, that's important because the first time I had a thought to kill myself, I want to say it was definitely a fleeting thought that came at the, Mm -hmm. the tail end of hopelessness. It was like, man, I just want to die. I can't handle this pain. Right. Versus moving into 
the inability to sleep at night Hmm. versus being agitated all the time. And then my mind being consumed with dying. Did you have it planned out? I never had a plan. Uh, by the time I was having suicidal ideation, I was seeing a therapist Mm -hmm. and they really talked to me about what is the difference between a fleeting thought versus where you're at, Jennifer. Mm -hmm. And they would ask me, do you have a plan? And I think one of the things also about me, Jeff, is, do you remember how I was sharing that my brother did drugs? Mm Mm-hmm. I think probably one of the reasons why I've never done drugs is because I'm deathly afraid of like getting arrested and having to go to jail. I am too. (laughs) Like, like the thought of me even leaving my house here in Tallahassee and even like fake, like asking someone for cocaine or or anything. Right. Like, like what if it's a sting operation? Like, like I'm deathly afraid of going the one time, the one time you, (laughs) right. And so, It's that same thing with having a plan Yeah, was like, I never, I was deathly afraid in those moments of dying. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't want to overdose and then not really die. There's no way that I could ever, like, I, like, I don't even still know how I would. And that's why the day where I was going to actually do it, Jeff, that was that was the breaking point for me. That was my tipping Mm. point because, um, you know, I'd been battling it for such a long time and I picked up the girls from school and we had a green minivan and I remember them being in the back and they were all bickering with each other. And of course, you know, I hadn't been sleeping. I've been doing all the things that I really could, Mm -hmm. but I had the thought to just, to just end it, just Mm. do it, just drive this car as fast as I possibly could and just, just run into a car and just, just to a wall, just end it. Right. And that is the sickest thought. Like, I hate, I hate sharing it, Jeff. That's important though that you do. I hate it. Yeah. But that was the day I walked myself in the psychiatric unit because it was like, I have actually crossed over from this battle to, oh my gosh, my mind is now moved into this element of not only hurting myself, but my children. Mm-hmm. And that goes against the core of who I am down to the very core of me. And so, um, you know, in my book, I've got that part where it says, what is your war? Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's so interesting because when I ask people like, what is your war? Are you super clear on that? Like, what is your full all out war? Is it written out? Is it on your wall? Because if not, like, Hmm. then you don't know. Right. And I know what my war is and I've always known. But the day that Brian and Brittany were killed, I kind of had to redefine that war. (laughs) Yeah. So let's, let's talk. You've mentioned that a few times and my listeners and followers probably don't understand what came next. So at 24 or so you had these thoughts. Um, and I, I can echo your sentiment. I've had them as recent as Christmas, which only time in my life, it's terrifying. It's mm-hmm. absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And the fact that I talk, tell people is a little embarrassing, mm-hmm. but it's also how we get through these, these, um, how we change the, the, the narrative and how we move the needle in the correct direction. But so at 24, 
um, you seem to then have this, these thoughts, you know, under control. Mm -hmm. I don't think you ever conquer them, but you have them under control. So what happens next? Yeah. And so again, you're right. Like I come out of the psychiatric unit, um, in the psychiatric unit for myself. And that's why I'm a huge advocate of the first chapter of my book, which is like, we all come to that ledge so differently. Okay. Right. I like that part. Right. It's like, we all come so differently. And so inside the psychiatric unit for myself, they drew blood and realized no thyroid, Hmm. no estrogen at all in my body. And I didn't even know that you could check that. Right. And so they put me on some high doses of estrogen, made me wear a patch, thyroid, sleeping medication. So three or four weeks after that, suicidal ideation was gone. Oh, wow. Okay. Gone. And at that point, I spent a good year or two trying to rebuild. Um, Brian and I were struggling definitely. As you can imagine, this was a lot Mm -hmm. for a married couple to go through. And right smack dab in the middle of all that, Brian and Brittany were killed on a day just like today at four o'clock going to get school supplies. So, wow. I mean, when I first heard that about you, you know, I thought, oh man, you, you this is just an amazing story. Knowing how, where you are now. And having the hindsight of, you know, the benefit of hindsight, you know, to go back and reverse engineer and look at, you know, getting that call, you know, especially from a drunk driver, you can't expect something like that happening. When I got my calls for my son and my wife, right. you know, I, I can't say I didn't expect it. Right. You know, they were, they were, Seth has been addicted for six years and, and my wife was battling alcoholism for a long time. So right. but to get a call that your husband and your daughter are killed by a drunk driver, I mean, I can't, I truly can't imagine that. Yeah. I mean, Jeff, for me, my family still is the core of my heart. Like, right. when I was a little girl, all I ever really wanted to be was a mom, like, it has been in me. And that's why I'm mm-hmm. saying that day in the car, having that thought to kill myself with them in the car just goes against a hundred percent of everything I am. And I knew it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my worst nightmare mm-hmm. to have family members killed and to survive. And for me to be the one left. How old were you when this happened? 29. Oh, Wow. Wow. Hmm. And I well, think it's I know so everybody important watching this. Under- I was going to say everybody watching this wants to reach out and give you a hug. Yeah, it's pretty unfathomable, honestly. Mm-hmm. Well, how how are the other two doing with all this going on? I mean, you know, I can only compare my situation to what you're going on, going through, and and and. Every, I, I heard something when I was doing my book that sibling bereavement is like the number one hardest thing for an adolescent to deal with more than losing their parents or anybody else. It's losing a brother or sister. Wow. So how'd your other two, how'd your other two children deal with the loss of, of their sister? You know, they both handled it very differently. Um, mm-hmm. The oldest lost her twin. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Brittany was that she had cerebral palsy. 
And so I think that there was this element with Michaela and Brittany where possibly Michaela and Brittany kind of already had some stuff that they had to work through because even yeah. though they were identical, right? Michaela was pretty protective of her sister at school. She was kind of used to people making fun of her sister. Um, Brittany got a lot of attention because she wore braces. So when Brittany died, Michaela really channeled her pain into running. So middle school, she was number one, high school, number one, number two in the state, you know, ended up getting an athletic scholarship at the University of Northern Colorado, ran her whole way through college. Uh, You know, three summers in a row, she would go to uh, like grief retreat that would would help young girls who had gone through, you know, similar stuff to her. So Mm -hmm. it's interesting because when Michaela finished college, I feel like that's when everything really hit it for her Mm -hmm. because middle school, high school, college, it was like she had distraction. She had distraction. She had accolade. Right. She had, you know, camaraderie. But then after college, you know, that's a tough period anyway. Like if you go to college with a group of people that you went to high school with and then like Mm -hmm. now you've graduated, you're expected to get a job and pay your own bills, right? Right. And so I think that time period for her after was more of her rough patch. Whereas Amber, the younger, she was only five. I think Amber and I did this very, very unique thing where we, where we became a unit. Like we were inseparable. Like I would go up and have lunch with her almost every single day, all the way up through high school. And so after she graduated, I personally feel like as her mom, as hard as it was, I feel like I had to do the like mama bird from the nest thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it was like, like pushing her off the nest and being like, girl, you've got to go fly. Like we can't be a unit for the rest of, of your life. And Oh my gosh, Jeff, like, has that been messy? Has that been painful? It has been so tough because like, like I said, I feel like we became this thing where we were there for each other but recognizing like not only was it not healthy for me in relationships because like people I would date would always be like, uh, there's never just you, Jennifer, it's you and your daughter. <laughs> and it's like you and your, and it, it wasn't a, it a wasn't, package deal. Yeah. It's not that that was a bad thing. Right. Because you want someone to love your kids, right. but the, I'm saying like we could finish each other's sentences and there was almost like no Amber outside of Jennifer. Right. No, no Jennifer outside of Amber. So we're at a good place now. Like she's getting married here in a few weeks. She's 24. I saw that. I saw that. That's you know, awesome. my oldest is getting married at the end of the year. She's 28. Like, hmm. but I, I do want people to know, like, it's still been messy. And yeah, of course, um, you know, if people said to me, though, like, how did you do this and raise them successfully? I would say communication, mm-hmm. you know, openly talking to them about everything. 
not not being one of those people who just shoves the trauma or the abuse or the uncomfortable under the rug and never talks about it. You know, the importance of that. It's funny you say that because I almost went the other way too much, too far. When Seth died, you know, I immediately within weeks, Ian was raising money on the golf course. You know, the local newspaper came out, you know, we, my wife would say sometimes, you know, we, we're not having, you know, you're not giving us time to grieve. Mm -hmm. And I said, I said, you know, we're obviously we're married, but we're grieving differently. Mm -hmm. And my grief was to raise awareness Mm -hmm. and to, in an odd way, keep Seth alive. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think my wife, and I think a lot of people look at these things as he's gone and I don't want to, I don't want to talk about him. And, And again, I, anyone watching this, I'm not trying to speak anything critical of my wife. I mean, I can't, you know, it's, you have to respect everybody's positions, even if it ends in death, you still have to respect that that was their choice to grieve in a certain manner. So, Mm -hmm. but I just, I think what I'm trying to show people, and and obviously you're doing this with your projects, which I want to get into pretty soon here, that it's okay to live for the living and honor the dead Mm -hmm. and to do things that help you stay alive. Mm -hmm. And I know my projects and I know my two boys without all that, I'm probably drinking. I'm probably, I I mean, I could easily be joining my wife and my son right now. Um, but everything I did kind of the fact I'm in the public eye now, and so are you, it's like, I have to kind of watch my steps. I have to keep learning. I have to keep current Mm -hmm. and, you know, so I just wanted to ask you that because, you know, we both, we both lost a spouse. We both lost a child in, in completely different manners, but they're still gone. That pain is the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was going to ask you, do you ever struggle with thinking maybe you're too vulnerable or you're too engaged and that you can't, I have a hard time disconnecting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really hard for me for a day to not do anything in regards to this mm-hmm. space I'm in now. Yeah. Do, you, do you struggle with that? So it's really different for me, Jeff, because the first five or six years when Brian and Brittany were killed, I had to be very careful about the pictures and the stuff that I kept out. Uh, certain things would really trigger me and make me sick. So I think I may have been a little bit more like your wife in right. the sense of like, I couldn't, I couldn't even see a photo of all of us as a family or I would lose my shit. Like, yeah, like it was, it was really tough for me. And so those first five to six years I went to therapy, you know, I got the girls in therapy. I was up at their school, but I didn't really talk a lot about it, Jeff. Hmm. And that's five or six years you said, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm on, I'm on your sixth right now. So yeah. Yep. And so then at the sixth year, I got up and gave a speech to a group of law enforcement and it was like a recognition breakfast for them. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget the response that I got from that speech. Hmm. That changed everything. It changed everything. Yeah. Like there was an exchange of energy that happened in that room right? that I hadn't experienced before. And so I think where I can relate to you is in telling these stories, 
in writing my book and talking with you, um, me showing up the way that I do so boldly every day, mm-hmm. there is an exchange. There is an exchange of, I still get to talk about Brittany all the time. Right. Um, right. So how do I really balance that now? Um, I think if you asked my youngest daughter, she would say, my mom has a hard time disconnecting from it. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think my most painful thing right now has been, I'm empty nested. That's the truth. Yeah. Okay. And so finding a mate, finding a partner who allows me to be so entrenched into the world that I'm in Mm -hmm. has been difficult. It's funny you say that. I have to jump in because I there's a female friend that I follow on Facebook and she was making a comment about um about dating and she goes, I could never date anyone that hadn't lost a child. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I obviously I'm widowed and I haven't been on a date and I've been kind of we were going through a separation. So I'm like three years. I've literally been alone with my boys and my two dogs. And I'm okay with that. Right now right. I'd be a disaster for someone to date because I'm married to this right now. Right. And so I agree with you. And, and, and when Amanda posted that, I, that was kind of funny because she's like, no one could understand me unless they had been through something that I went through. Yep. So, I mean, as you're starting to rebuild your life, did you think about how unfair it is for a man to meet me? You know, I may be a good catch, but there's some things I have that they have to understand. You know, did you struggle with that? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think the relationships that I went through, um, and you kind of write about that in my book. Yeah, you like, talk about it in the book, and I appreciate your honesty and your openness with that. Yeah, I mean, the the relationship piece for me has been the hardest piece to figure out on this side of losing Brian and Brittany. Mm-hmm. And um, it's so interesting that you talk about that post that basically says, like, I could never date someone who hadn't lost a kid. So what's neat about Jeremy and writing that final chapter in my book, Home, is his son was in a car crash and was in a coma. Mm. And he didn't lose his son. Right. But he almost did. Right. And that has been enough for us to share the depth of that because I think his mind can go to one step you know, right. being in an ER, right. watching his son's head being this big with a port yeah, and not knowing if his son was going to survive or not. I think he was one step from, oh, my God, he can relate. He can relate. My, For my the most son's, part, yeah. My son's almost gone. Yeah. And so um, so he's really good on that side of it. Like he hasn't lost a child. Um, mm-hmm. But the neatest thing is. I kind of, by the time I met him, had set up some things of like, these are deal breakers for me. So when I'm coaching people, (laughs) um, I I tell them to get, you know, I I have a piece of paper I give them, but like you could do this for fun. Okay. But you just, you just draw three circles and like in that inside, like you really have to have four or five deal breakers and everyone has them. If you spend some time with yourself, you'll know what your deal breakers are. Um, so I, I, when I moved to Florida, I had to get pretty firm with myself and say, Jennifer, you need to get crystal clear on 
what your deal breakers are, like what don't, what does not work for you and don't even go there. Yeah. If it doesn't work for you. It's easier to nip it early. It's just than so much to, easier to nip yeah. it. And, and don't take this the wrong way, but at our age, age, we don't have a lot of time to negotiate and figure things out. It's like, I just, I, you don't have to tell me everything on the first you right. know, date. Right. Odd for me to say, cause I haven't been on one. It's like, it's, it's, it's even, you know, I had um, a friend of mine a while back and I'll be very kind of neutral on this because I, I need to be sensitive, but they wanted me to go out on a date with somebody, right. you know, a double date. And I'm like, you know, I, they, they know I'm doing this. Right. And I'm like, I'm not, right. I'm no desire. That's fine. I'm, I'm, I, I get door dashed, you know, six nights a week. So it's like, sure. I'll get out of my house. Right. So I, so, so he goes, uh, <laughs> I have to laugh. Cause this is so, this is just so typical what I expected in like the dating world. So he goes, yeah, she looked at your picture and your stuff on Facebook and she, you know, she thought you were nice and stuff. And I said, it's cool. But she has one question she wants to know before she'd go out. And I said, yeah, you know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, what's my, you know, maybe just, I don't know. I'm just thinking some optimistic question, you know, what, what do I think about the afterlife or, right. you know, what do I think about, you know, saving the oceans, you know, <laughs> something like that. She goes, if he voted for Donald Trump, I don't want to go out on a date with him. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? That's the first thing that comes to mind. I mean, is that, is that the pool of women out there? They're just angry at men that voted for, and of course I'm so politically homeless. Right, I couldn't even right, tell you. I mean, right. I, I have no, I have no anything in that. Right. And it just, I thought this, okay, now I just pulled back. Okay. I'm not interested. Yes, I'm not going to, yeah. I'm nope, I'm done. That's it. I'm just going to be widowed and single for the rest of my life. I'm, I'm but that's the of... first question you have and ask because someone freaking voted for. Yep. Really? Yeah. I so and that's see that's the thing that Jeez. I I think it makes me really unique, Jeff, is like if someone said to me like, "Hey Jennifer, show me your page that has your three circles, right?" Yeah. Something that's not on that page, Jeff, is tall, height, color of skin or hair, right? right. Or money. Right. Like those are not on my page because right me being attracted to someone, like I do not have something in me that's like, oh my gosh, you know, like I, the person has to be at least right. six foot or, right. you know, like my things on the list are, are they loyal? Yeah. No you know, question. Is there proof that they yeah. are good to other people, like kind and generous? Like right. my list is like character. Well, I'll tell you a funny when we could talk, we could have a little show on dating, but so I use this analogy about my investment business because we always were very suspicious when a million dollar prospect came in and all they talked about was how much they hated their last financial advisor. And then the one before they hated because, and it was so, and I'm like, we're just going to be another financial advisor. They're going to hate. So my thoughts are, you know, if I get back into that pool, is like if someone just starts immediately talking about how much they don't, and it's like, you know, that's a huge red flag to me. That would yeah. be on my circle. Yep. That would be over. That would be over politics or yep. you know what anything else. It'd be like your past relationships with your exes. If you hate them, you know, I'm probably not interested because yep. I don't. First of all, I don't want some beefy weightlifter guy sitting out from my porch <laughs> or my house. You know. And I just don't want to sit there and talk about how much you hate somebody all the time. Yeah. I just, see, I don't I, hate anybody. See, and that's the thing, Jeff, like that's what makes Jeremy and I really unique. Like, um, so his ex-wife, like we talk kindly about her and his ex-girlfriend, sure. yeah. um, he still, 
you know, touches base every once in a while and like yeah. make sure she's doing okay. And like my ex, same thing. Like every once in a while, that person will yeah. reach out to me, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like that is telltelling right there. I'll tell you because both Jeremy and I are confident in with each other that we're just those, those outside relationships that we used to have, they don't affect us. And that's why I'm saying to you, I feel really in such a good place because for me to be able to bring up a past person and speak about the whole mm -hmm. thing, the good, the bad things that bothered me, whatever, you know, right. I, we bring that both into this relationship and we're very open. And I honestly, I couldn't be more thankful that I have him because he's such a mm -hmm. good sounding solid Jeremy is for me. Yeah. Um, so I'm thankful that I found that because at our age, right. <laughs> you know, it, it is tough, I think, to find quality. Yeah, it is. I, I struggle with that with the boys. I mean, I when I text him on a Friday night at nine and I just give him a heart, you know, I say, you okay, dad? I'm like, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm down here with my dogs watching TV, you know, and everyone else is out doing things. But then again, I start to creep back into that pity party thing. And I start thinking about, I, st I start thinking about that sentence that I use at all the end of my talks, you know, do things happen to you or do things happen for you? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, here I am. I'm a victim. I'm playing my pity party. I'm on the bitter road. Right. I got to, I got to get over to the better road. Right. And so, you know, I just, it, it's just kind of that self-care. And so kind of to pull back to the projects that you've just dove yourself into, a lot of that is self-care. A lot mm -hmm. of it's making sure that, you know, Jennifer's in a good place because you can't, you can't help Jeremy, you can't help your daughters. You can't help anybody if you're in a, if you're in a bad place. So yeah. why don't you talk about the first project that you took on? Yeah. And then if you don't mind kind of hitting some of the ones you're doing and then talk about the stuff you're doing now, because I think it's amazing. Thank you. You know, so the first thing for me, and just so that like, um, people kind of get my heart beat is pretty quickly after Brian and Brittany were killed, I qualified for disability because of the PTSD. I went on to have brain surgery, which only added to it. And so for quite a while I had, you know, a, dis yeah. a disability check. And Jeff, I'm gonna be honest with you. It wasn't a lot of money, but it was enough money that, you know, I paid my rent, I paid my utilities, mm -hmm. I paid my food and I could be at the kids' school. Right. But when I started speaking at that six year mark and started being asked to speak and well, do you charge? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, can you come in and be the keynote over here? Right. Right. It really created a problem because when you're on disability, you can't make money income. Right. And so, of course, there was a part of me that says, well, I could create a nonprofit. They and could pay you in Bitcoin, too. So <laughs> <laughs> now they can just pay you in Bitcoin <laughs> or, or or Starbucks. I don't know something, but um, yeah, anything. But so, so, yeah, I mean, I could have <laughs> tried, you know, like nonprofit, but it's just the reality was I went in and said, I'm going to do a ticket to work program and get off disability and, and make money. Mm -hmm. And when you do this ticket to work program out in Colorado, like they don't help you go through this program unless you can prove that whatever you're selling, whatever you're doing, that there are people who will buy it and that you've had a little bit of experience in it. So realistically, right. like I could have opened a, a deli. Right. If I could have proven that up in Northern Colorado, there was a good need for that. 
Well, I had already been speaking for five years. Hmm. And so it gave me this very confident, like, I know my niches. I know my speeches. Right. So transitioning, though, from free to seeking to get paid and getting paid consistently when it comes to keynote is a yeah. tough world. And so first yeah. thing I created was a program. It was a program. It was three hours and it came with a workbook that I created. It was called Call for Back. Did you have any help with, did you have any help with this or did you do it on your own? I just did. So the three hour program, how much of that is actually you speaking and how much of it's the notebook or the textbook? So it was a three hour program for first responders. And okay. I would come in and speak to, you know, if it was firefighters, A, B, and C shift. If it was a police officer, it's still three hours, depending on how large, you know, they had. So that was first program. And what's so neat, Kay, is like second program, Stereo to Move. It's a one hour in a high school community corrections, community center, another workbook. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I've got those two things. And then boom, here's what happens. This is like, this is like me just finally like, okay, I've been speaking. I've been doing all of this stuff. And every single time I share this story, Jeff, I would say, I've had to fight really long and hard to be this woman standing here in front of you. I've had to fight through depression, anxiety, PTSD, even thoughts of suicide. Mm -hmm. Almost always, Jeff, people were always like, oh, rightly so. Yeah, like Jennifer battled suicidal ideation. I can, I mean, if my husband and daughter were killed, I I could see why she battled suicidal ideation. And this like anger inside of me, hmm. like was raging. By the time 2017 came with my book, it was like, no, you have to know the truth. Because the thing is, when I'm standing on that stage and I'm speaking and I say I battled suicidal ideation, right? almost everyone assumed it was after Brian and Brittany were killed. I did when I first met you. Right. And it's like, oh, rightly so. It's like, so it's almost like you didn't have a life before that. It's like, you know? like, it's almost like, oh, I could see why. Yeah. And for me, can you imagine yeah, battling it easily, like yep. battling it, having the courage to go in the psychiatric unit, having that being used against you, fighting yeah. through all of those things to be on a stage to speak and people being almost dismissive and like say, Oh, I could see why you were suicidal. So it's my first it's, book. Yeah. My first book was really like taking my power back. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely like, no, I've created these programs and I speak, but like, this is, you need to know this. And it was a turning point for me because a lot of people wanted me to speak about drunk driving. And I was like, mm -mm. no, yeah, I could see that. I was like, no, no. I, can, I, can I jump in real quick? Yeah. Because I have to just jump in because I'll forget. But that makes me think about my initial idea was to do an opioid awareness tour. Mm -hmm. And for the same reasons why you didn't want to spend all your time on drunk driving, I didn't want to chase the drug cartels and big pharma. It's like that just, I didn't think I could honor Seth the best way. And you probably thinking the same thing, you know, there's, there's organizations already going in with the drunk driving angle. So yep. you're, I think if I read you correctly, you took more of the, how do you respond from grief angle? And that's exactly what I did as well. It's, 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 I call it the demand side. Yeah. You know, we're focused on processing grief, processing data. We're not focusing on the supply side. Like you're not going after alcohol companies. You're not yep. going after the drug driving laws. 
I, I, I 100% did the same thing that you're doing. Yeah. And the I, same had, thing. I had to fight in the trench to get that. Yeah. Because the easy thing is to go after where the anger is coming from. And that's yeah. the alcohol companies, the, you know, any, that's any the bar, that. you know, any yeah. of that. I mean, I could have so easily started anything and be like known for like one of our nation's, yeah, you know, speakers on preventing DUI and blah, blah, blah. But my, my pain came from knowing that a lot of people who drink and drive, a lot of people who are alcoholics are people who are human, who are really struggling. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I had to pull real far back from that and say, no, I really want to be a part of the solution. I want to really be a part of like, why does someone drink and drive? So you did something no one does. No one does. And I've followed many, many stories, many, many stories. You forgave the drunk driver. And I, I just stand, it, it makes the hair on my arm stand up when I tell you that. It's like, that is absolutely, and you're going to hate the word heroic, but that is the most humble, I would say, um, to take that vengeance and that hatred and that, you know, we, 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 we live for an eye for an eye society. You took my husband and my daughter, I'm taking your life, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, you didn't go down that road. And I, I don't know if, if that's something I could have done. I, I just, and I absolutely admire your strength, your, your wisdom, um, just every word I could possibly think of your patience, your, your compassion, not empathy and compassion, not sympathy and pity towards this man. Right. Because you had empathy and compassion yeah. and that's something we can build on. You don't build on sympathy and pity. But talk a little bit about why you did that, maybe what's come of it, and what did you learn from forgiving the person that that this horrific day, you know, yeah. occurred from? Well, you know, I mean, I touch on it a little bit in my book, but I mean, I came from a set of faith-based beliefs, which mm-hmm. was like... um. Jesus said to me, you know, we should forgive. Mm -hmm. And it was something that I kind of knew. It was like a lot of people like know it like here. Mm -hmm. But when it comes down to the moment of like, what does that tangibly look like? Now it's a test. Now it was like, am I, am I going to put this into practice? Right. But I do share with people. And I think this is so important. And I'm sure you've seen me when I post this. Oh yeah. I see it. When it comes to forgiving him, he accepted his 24-year sentence. He accepted a guilty plea. Yeah. He was remorseful in the courtroom. He asked if he could turn and address me because they're not allowed to do that. Like you, they can't just turn and look at me and ask for forgiveness. Like they, you wow. can't do that in a courtroom. And so he asked and I said yes. And he asked for forgiveness and I gave it to mm. him. Okay. It's amazing. And I think that what I want people to hear, and I've had people like say to me, well, like, would you feel the same way if someone had come in? And I'm sorry for this to be so blunt, Jeff, but if someone had come in and raped your daughter and they were out scot-free, like they didn't pay any time, mm-hmm. would you have forgiven in that same route? And the answer is no. Okay. Hmm. If someone came into my house and on purpose raped my daughter, and then when I'm in court with them, they've got their arms crossed. 
Right. And they're not remorseful for what they did. Or they're like yeah. looking at the judge and they're saying, oh, it's not that bad. You know, can we get that right. from a seven year down to a one? Yeah. Right? Right. Absolutely. I see where you're going. Then now I'm dealing with someone who is not really remorseful for what they've done. Mm-hmm. And would I still personally forgive that person? Yes. Does that mean that I would have fought for that person to be free? And I think, right. Like, <laughs> right. Like yeah, that, yeah, I understand. Right. That's the part where when I found out that the man who did this had been on a wait list for five years in a judicial system for therapy. Wow. That's just, I was furious. And so I I went in and advocated for him and people were like, what? And that just comes back to that set of beliefs, Jeff, which is like, it's the most universal code we all know, which is like do unto others as you would want to be, have done to you. And it can't get any more broad than that. But it's like, if that was me in prison and I had made that choice to drive drunk and I killed someone, mm-hmm. you can damn well be sure that I wish someone would come into a system and advocate for me that I could have mm-hmm. therapy. Like, right. <laughs> right? It. I mean, it doesn't get any more broad than that of like, I did to him what I would want done to me. And I shared a post yesterday. I'm sure you saw it. It basically mm-hmm. just yeah. said, you know, the day my husband and daughter were killed, I stepped into an arena, one I never thought that I would survive. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, like, a part of this soft, beautiful Jennifer died, Jeff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I moved into a logical, compartmentalizing, step up, warrior, wrap things up move forward kind of mode. Yeah. And so I think I relate more to where you are now. Yeah. You know, and I'm not trying to be stereotypical, but I am, but Mm -hmm. you know, men are more like that typically and women are more emotional and struggle to compartmentalize or whatever. And that day I just became both. And, you know, I have a letter from Amber. Mm Mm-hmm. And I keep it next to my bed and we didn't have a lot of money when Christmas and she wrote me the sweetest letter and it just said, mom, thank you for loving me and teaching me how to love myself. Hmm. Thank you for being both my mom and my dad. And, and what that means is like, I had to learn how, if she was dating someone or like I had to try to embody Jeff, like if their dad was still here, like how would he, how would he react? And so, right. you know, when she would bring a boy over, I would say, you know, as Amber's mom, blah, 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 blah. But as Amber's dad, if you hurt my daughter, like I have a shotgun, <laughs> like, right. right. It was like, yeah, it's just the truth. And right. that's actually really similar when it comes to struggling with addiction and grief and PTSD is you and I have to learn how to embody both of them mm-hmm. powerfully. It's not one or the other. It's not all put together, Jeff, who's out there fiercely doing all this and you're all that. It's not the Jeff who's broken down, crying privately, who wonders if he can continue going on. It isn't both. Like it's not one or the other. It's both. Mm-hmm. 
and learning how to honor both sides of those yourself publicly to me is the most positive way to move forward because what we have is a society who wants to just see the raw raw for Jeff. Yeah, and I, I think, and you're so you're so uh, accurate how you describe that. I think another dynamic here that's kind of interesting for me is this um, this need to get affirmation. And I got in a couple Facebook groups, and I, I still I'm still in them, except I I got out of one just the other day. I got kind of lured into them because, and they're primarily moms, mm-hmm. um, mostly moms that are very passionate with a lot of the dads just, you know, the dads that are in this side of the fence are very, you know, amazing, but most of them are just in denial probably or right. whatever. But it seems like most of these groups there are seven out of 10 are, are women. And, you know, as I get in there, I just get kind of pulled into this vortex and I just, I can't stay in long. It's just, I really, it's like being in a, it's like being on Twitter and you follow political analysts. It's, <laughs> I, I, and I'm not, gosh, I don't know how I can say that without hurting people's feelings, but it's like that, that doesn't work for me. Yeah. It's just, I know some moms need to be in that 24 seven and pictures and everything. And, and I, you know, I do, I post Seth occasionally. I right. did something with my wife and, right. but you know, f- to do that all day long publicly, I mean, I, I talk about Seth in my projects, you know, right. with me. Yeah. But I just, you know, at some point, you know, for me, I see the utility, why there's an allure to that. I certainly get that, mm-hmm. but there's, a, there's gotta be kind of a give and take here where in trying to help others so much that we don't pull ourselves down. And so self-care is so, so important. And one thing in your book, your book was probably, I think you and Ann Moss Rogers have like two of the best books I read. Oh, Ann Moss's you. son took his own life. Um, I haven't read her book. She's awesome. You know her on social media, right? Just barely. Like I see her like supporting and, your stuff, but I haven't and really. Leslie Warrick too. Leslie Warrick's awesome too. Yep. She's out in Indiana. She's actually uh she's got one of our best stops on my tour oh, is Leslie's. I, I and Ann Moss is gonna be um one of our advocates in Richmond. But anyway, your book and her book were so good because you know, mine isn't really a journal, mine's more of a memoir. Mine's like yeah. you sit down you know, you can read it. It's tough read. You can, you can, but yours are like how to, you know, you have really good, your thing about the engine light, the check engine light out of your whole book. And when you put that in there, you probably didn't think that'd be the one thing that someone would remember, but that's like the one thing that I think of when I'm driving around and I see my check engine light kick on or something goes on in my life. And I'm like, there's Jennifer's check engine light metaphor. Do you mind talking about that a little bit. Cause that, that seemed to be something in your book. I just can't let go of, uh, which is so funny because I doubt that you thought it would have that big an impact on people, but it actually uh, is one of my like greatest teachings. And so I, I am really, did you invent that? I did. I like it. So tell everybody what it is. What's, yeah. what's the check engine light mean? The whole check engine light. Just, I had an aha moment, like a long time ago of like, when I was going into the psychiatric unit, right? Like my check engine light was on. (laughs) Okay. Like all cylinders firing. Right. Yeah. And I did what we tell everyone to do, which is like, okay, you're broken down. It's, it's firing off your check engines on. Right. And so I go in, I put my car in. And yet what happened to me was I was penalized. I was labeled when I came out, like my kids were people would make fun of them because your mom had been in a psychiatric unit. Right. And so I had this epiphany of like, 
if you and I were driving together in the car today, those lights are indicators of something that's just happening. And would you feel fear or shame if your check tire pressure came on? You'd just say, you'd say, Hey Jen, hold on. Right. You'd pull off, you'd you'd pull off, you'd check the tire real quick. Right. And and then if you got back in and you kept driving and then it said, check gas or check oil, you'd say, Hmm, okay. You like, without fear or shame, like you wouldn't be embarrassed. You wouldn't look at me Mm. and be like, oh, Jennifer's going to think I'm an awful person if I check my oil right now. (laughs) Right? Right. And so you get out and you just check it. But then the whole point is like, what happens with people who are resilient is we keep driving when those lights are on. And then sadly, our car breaks down on the side of the road. Check engine lights on spark plugs are off. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to convince people to do in society is to like find the courage to take their car in. Right. Right. And we keep saying in society, like, Oh, you're not a burden. You're, You're not a burden. It's like, try telling someone who's letting their child down every single day because they're struggling with addiction, that they're not a burden. Mm -hmm. They actually like, are letting their children down. Right. But what they need to know, I feel on the like deepest level is if I take my car in to get it fixed, do you still see that I have value and worth? Mm-hmm. Will you still be here while I go do that? Mm-hmm. And like see that as a act of courageousness, bravery, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of shame. Yeah. And I, I, boy, I tell you, you, you really got me thinking about all the times with Seth and how, you know, even as a parent, I labeled him because I was so mad at him, you know, and I look back now and he was just a lost boy that, that, you know, I, at the time, as you know, there's no textbook, right? You know, the, you don't pick up a book and say, you know, your son's been arrested for breaking and entering, getting money for drugs. What's the first thing you do? There's just, there's no textbook for any of this stuff. And you just make up stuff as you go. And I just, when you were talking about these things, I was thinking about Seth and not regretting missed opportunities that I had, because if I want to do that, I could talk to you for years. I mean, I'm culpable as, as, as we all are. Right. But there's life lessons in all this stuff. There's ways that you said to, to, to learn. And I like, I like the word evolution. I think Mm -hmm. we evolve. I, to me, that's like my favorite word in this whole journey I'm on is my daily evolution. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't even like change. Um, I don't like struggle. It's just evolution. It's just the process of, of aging and learning and keep growing. But, um, so what's next on, I, I just, I know you've got some like very recent things you've announced and things. So why don't in the next few minutes, maybe summarize some of the most recent projects and then, then certainly how people can reach you. Yeah. So for me, um, the most exciting thing, I think, you know, you kind of asked me like, how, how did I get here? And I shared a little bit with you about programs, book, mm-hmm. speaking all the time, books, and I, I think like I can see the three ring binders, Jeff, of all of the programs that I've run and had people fill out an exit survey. 
And so my master guide to mental wellness is me really packaging my greatest insights and pairing it with actionable steps inside there so that someone can purchase it. It's so affordable. And it's me trying to duplicate myself in the best fashion I can, not only as someone who's been there, someone that's Mm going to try to help you figure out what's going on for you, where you can check those check engine lights without fear or shame. Right. Uh, But I don't just leave you there with the like, here's some things to think about. There's, you know, steps in there to take. Mm -hmm. So my master guide is really where I'm headed. Um, But I've got a few, I've got uh, an app out and I'll, I'll tell you more about that later because I'm waiting for it to like, be official, official in the app store. Okay. Um, awesome. It's exciting. That is exciting. And I've got one other project that I am stinking excited about, and I can't tell you about it here, but when, <laughs> it, when it's done, I hope that you're just like, oh my gosh, Jennifer, that is ingenious. Because to me, I'm like, because Jeff, what I want is to take what you said in that was in my book, right? Mm-hmm. And I want to find ways to get that as far as I can get it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm having to really step out of my own comfort zone and be like, I need to get this in audio. Right. Right. I need to get this this way. I need to get this on yeah. podcast. Right. Like yeah. I'm having to get out of my own way. Uh, and so to me, there's no going forward without each other. That's exactly how I feel is together. We can do so much more. And so I, you know, I'm excited. I was excited to spend this hour with you today and just, we, like you said, there's no comparing grief. There's no comparing like, oh my gosh, her story is so much more, whatever. Right. right? Like that's, it's not the point together. One of the things I like to say is if we can get really clear on what our strengths are and we can each come to the table with the strength, Mm -hmm. think of how powerful that would be. Oh, I know. And that's the beauty of kind of what's happening. You know, COVID was such a horrible event for so many people. Mm -hmm. But for me, for me, it was perfect timing in my life because it forced me to sit down here in my studio and work on projects and I couldn't leave the house. And so a lot of what has been born came out of the chaos of COVID. Mm -hmm. And um, even just the idea of doing a podcast. I, I never even watched podcasts before COVID. Yeah. You know, I was just too busy. But so uh, what's the easiest way people can reach you and purchase what you have available uh, or follow you? What are some of the easiest ways for people to do that? I'll have all the yeah. all your contacts on my post. I serve really two different niches. Uh, first responder, veteran world, it's redefineyourmission.com. That's mm-hmm. where the master guide is. And that one is packaged to go far and wide. My book is From the Deepest Darkness to the Light of Hope. And I've got two editions of that. I've got the regular one and then there's a Patriot edition. Mm-hmm. But if you want what I call a scrapbook, <laughs> which is like, what's Jennifer been up to the last 12 years? Go to Jennifer Tracy Dash Inspire. And that's got all the speaking, all the stuff, my story, my book. I mean, it's all on there. And it's funny, sometimes people will like, check out the whole website and then they send me a message, you know, and they're like, Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) So I call it scrapbook because it is, but 
you know, I hope it's a testimony. Again, I get a lot of people who just say, thank you for the way you show up so boldly every day. You give me hope. You teach me things. You inspire me to not give up. And um, I think, like you said, I'm going to probably end this with this, Jeff, is that Mm -hmm. you and I are both on somewhat of a platform And what I feel like happens a lot for people who are in this platform, and I consider you someone that I'm really keeping an eye out on, Mm -hmm. okay, is that that you have the passion and the purpose, but sometimes people who are up on these platforms don't truly know how to take care of themselves. And then sadly, Mm -hmm. they crash or we see them actually taking their lives and people are then right. people are like people are like what right like right. here's this person who is so in this right mm-hmm. and the, and the truth of it is is that it it's lonely at the top mm-hmm. finding someone that you can trust with your deepest darkest pains it is is tough at the top yeah that's good advice I mean, for anybody that's in the public eye. I mean, look at Anthony Bourdain and Robin Williams. And I think just today, again, there was the fourth college athlete that committed, that took their own life. Yeah. Uh, I haven't verified that, but based on her age and what they showed on social media, I'd, I hate to make the implication, but the last three that they posted, and unfortunately all four have been women, yeah. female college athletes. Um, so there's something going on with this mental health crisis mm-hmm. we have, you know, and you know, mental health isn't just, you know, in your case, there was a lot of things that happened, you know, that were outside of your control. Right. But that still can, that still is mental health to me. It's like, if you got cancer, that affects your mental health. I mean, even though you didn't, you didn't make the cancer yourself, it, it still, it still affects. So I think every single human on the planet has a mental health challenge, Right. you know, nobody's immune to it. So, well, listen, I've really enjoyed talking with you and I'm, our paths will cross so many times. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm excited about some of the collaboration opportunities that you and I have to build because what I envision with what we're doing with the tour is precisely what you kind of said. One of the frustrations I had with dealing with Seth's addiction issues, where do I go? Who do I call? You know, what, and then with, with dealing with, you know, I shouldn't say dealing with, but helping my wife mm-hmm. go through what she went through, which there, what, what, what do I do? You know, put them in a facility. What type of facility? Right. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have any idea. And every time I called, it was 20,000 a month, 5,000 a month, you know, free. And, and, and it's just, I didn't know what to do. So what I'm trying to do, and this is going to be something that will come after the tour when we kind of go public with these things right. is to build a network of, all these silo shops mm-hmm. like you and me and yep. all the other people on, on LinkedIn, which I love them all, but I almost, it's like, okay, you know, let's start, let's start doing something. Mm-hmm. I love these dramatic tear jerking posts and I do them myself, but it's like, I'm not convinced awareness is really what's going to change anything anymore. I mean, it just isn't. I mean, there's so much awareness right now in all these things, but everything's getting worse. Yeah. I mean, everything's getting worse. It's like, so how do we, how do we obviously continue awareness, but I want awareness to be incidental. I want it to be accidental. Mm -hmm. I think by taking this RV on the road with a big 34 foot, you know, magnet, 
awareness is going to happen. Yeah. I'm not going to go out. I, I don't have to wear by focusing on awareness, but I think what you're trying to do with your book and with all the projects you're in is these actionable action steps. Like you said a few times today, Yep. you know, we're aware of these things, but that isn't going to fix the problem. Yep. We need to be actionable. So again, um, you were going to say something and then I wanted to wrap it up, but go ahead. Oh yeah. So, um, 2016, I created, it's called ACA. So it's the mm -hmm. ACA model of self-mastery. So it's awareness, choice, action. And, mm -hmm. and realistically in the circles, like that's where your power is because you're hmm. so right. Like you, you and I can bring awareness to something all day, but if the person is aware of the fact that they have depression, but they don't know what their choices are. Yeah. What good is the awareness? Well, then let's say you give them 15 choices, right? You're like, okay, you can go here, you can take meds, you can do holistic, blah, 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 right? What good is being aware or offering them 15 choices if they don't take action? Absolutely. Right? So yeah. that full circle, like how did Jennifer get here? Because somehow I figured that out and I did it over and over in multiple places. Right. And I have to keep doing it. And like, that's it. So back to the check engine, you said you like Evolve. I really like recalibrate. So back to the yes. tech engine, I'm like, you just keep recalibrating till your engine is running smooth. And you know, right. shoot, you know, if you hit a, a particular bump, it's going to do something different to your car than that bump over there. And I love the car analogy because, you know, we work so hard to get to where we're going, but we don't think about what do we do? Like the dog chasing the van. The dog works forever to catch this vehicle. And if he ever did right. catch it, he's never thought very far ahead. What am I going to do when I catch the car? Catch it. Yeah. Well, yeah. we, we do the same thing with, with a lot of things in life. You know, I'm chasing these things, but when you finally get there, this is why when I was investing money for people, there were so many unhappy, rich people Oh yeah. because they set out to be rich their whole life. And when they got, when they got rich, then it wasn't enough. It's like a drug addict. It yep. just money, money for 35, 40 years was the means to an ends, but when they got there, it wasn't enough and there never is enough money. So I think learning lessons from you and me and everybody else in this mental health industry that you and I got kind of thrown into, I know <laughs> we both did, um, is to, you know, make sure we certainly take care of ourselves. You know, that that's gotta be the first thing, but have attainable aspirations and so forth, you know, make sure we take time to enjoy the great talk that you gave, you know, enjoy it and stuff because, um, it's so easy to get pulled back into the abyss as I call it in the book. And that happened to me in over Christmas and, you know, and, and I expect to happen again. I'm, yeah. I'm preparing myself. I, I like, I'm that. preparing myself. Yeah. And I like that about where you're at, Jeff. And I think, I hope that you heard me when I was saying mm -hmm. like I'm keeping my eye on you, which is like, yeah. like no matter how successful you get in this tour, right is being able to be vulnerable and honest and say, Hey, I'm still dealing with X, Y, and Z over here, right. but I'm also doing this simultaneously. And I think if we can teach people that we'll give more people a voice of, I can be both. Mm -hmm. And I think we need more of that. I think we need more of what you're doing, which is being honest about how you're still trying to hold things together, but you're still moving forward at the same time. And, and hopefully your body and mental part can also heal too. Cause you're well, it's easy to be, it's easy to be honest because that doesn't take any work. 
Yeah. Um, there, there's risks with being honest. Yes. But if you if you lie, then you first of all you got to remember your your lies. <laughs> and I have attention deficit, so I have I'm a horrible liar. I mean, I I, I mean I could tell you so many times. Well, we won't get off on that. But yeah, I I couldn't lie because I couldn't remember my yeah, lies. Yeah. So it's easy for me to tell the truth. I don't have to have a good memory. Um, <laughs> but uh. Yeah, there's just so much packaged here and we could talk and I'll have to get you back on again because I have other questions I never got to tonight. So I'll have to get you back on the show. But um, but it's been great to follow you and to watch your your progress. And um, I I see a lot of the living undeterred mindset and what you're doing and and some other people. Um, There's certainly some opportunities for us to work together on a a large scale to help more and more people. you know, and to fill a, fill a void mm-hmm. that's not being filled. I mean, I had a reporter ask me the other day, I don't know if I told you this, but they said, um, so Jeff, what problem are you trying to solve? Mm-hmm. What, 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 what is the tour? What are you trying to do? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know, if you um, feel the same way, but I, I, I think these are trap questions. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I, I don't like them. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's not a way to answer them. Right. And you, you can't answer them succinctly in short amount of time. Right. It's a long winded answer. Right. That's like when I told you, someone says, can I pick your brain about anxiety yeah, and depression? It's, it's like, no, read my book. I'm sorry. Like you can't right. pick it, your brain on anxiety and depression. So this person asked me, you know, Jeff, um, what problem are you trying to solve? Right. Uh, what's, what's, what are you trying to do on the tour? And I used to just fall for this, like, you know, right. hook, line and sinker. Right. So now I've got it now. Here's my standard answer mm-hmm. that I'm going to say for every reporter on the tour. <laughs> so you ask me any question about the tour objectives, right. whatever you're trying to do. Here's right. my answer. If what we were doing was working, I wouldn't be doing the tour. Oh, I love that, Jeff. That's it. I don't have to answer any other questions. So you ask me, Jeff, how are you going to change the narrative? Yep. Jeff, uh, why are you doing the tour? What problem are you trying to solve? Yep. If what we were doing was working. I wouldn't be doing the tour. Love That's it. why I'm here. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I don't have answers for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but I just, it, it, hit, yeah. it hit me all of a sudden. Yeah. It hit me all of a sudden. I'm thinking, how do I answer that without answering it? And yeah. how do I put it back in their face yeah. for asking me such a dumb question? Yep. You know, I, you know, I mean, I don't, let I me mean, asking it the wrong way. No, it's not a dumb question, It's. It, but, but what problem am I trying to solve? Come on. How do yeah, I answer that? Exactly. That's an unanswerable question. Right. You know? And I think with my master guide, if you asked me specifically, is the problem I'm trying to solve is I'm offering a solution that's in a safe, confidential place. So someone who's struggling at work can get a whole bunch of resources for $75. Mm-hmm. That would be years worth of coaching and they're not at risk of losing their job. So see, it's safe and confidential. Like that's the problem yeah. that my guide solves, right? And the, the only way to, and I'm like you, if I don't have a way to, to stop the answer, I'll just, I'll just keep going. And then it turns into a, a long-winded answer. So for me, I just, I talked to Molly. I go, I got to come up with oh, one Oh, I sentence. love it. One sentence. Yeah. If what we were doing was working, we wouldn't be doing the tour. Right. And so, you know, that, that I think goes for, for you. If someone says, well, Jennifer, what's your overall objective with your, with your guide? Yeah. If what we were doing was working, I wouldn't have done the guide. Exactly. 
And again, I love it because like my guide is not the end all be all Jeff, right? Like right. I still need the other Nothing pieces, is. Right. Yeah. I still need the other pieces that you're going to bring along for this with your tour. Mm-hmm. Like like it just solves one unique problem. I know it does. Well, I, like I said, well, you and I got to talk yeah. uh, quite a bit about how this is going to work, but yeah. Yeah. So right now I think you, you set the record for the longest podcast of the year. So <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> I think shock an, me with I think an too. hour, an hour eight was my longest. So, and I actually have another one I have to tape in 40 minutes. So. All right. Well, <laughs> um, so, but I'm, I'm going to very much appreciate you being on the show and I'll get you back on. And, um, yeah. I, I know a lot of people are going to want to follow you and we're I highly this, recommend we're in this people together. get your book. Yeah. We're in this yeah. together. I've got your book here. Um, it's special to me. Yeah. All these books are, I just, the problem with it, you're running into the same thing. I'm meeting so many yeah. champions. Yeah. I'm meeting so many great people. I can't read all their books. Yeah. And I'm with you on you know, that, but we just, you know, tough. again, we met those of us who did meet, like you said, we've met for a purpose and now mm-hmm. we just have to keep moving forward together. Well, great show. Thank you very much. Yeah, you And bet. keep living undeterred. Okay, Jennifer? You too. Always here for you, rooting for you. 